Welcome back to the SAS Ramp Podcast. I'm your host, Podcast Pete, on with a familiar face today. This is Wes Schifoni, CS Director at Postman Unicorn Turn Centaur, as I understand from the meeting yesterday. Welcome to the show, Wes. Thanks for having me, Pete. It's like to be here, man. Appreciate yeah, it. I'm so glad you got to get on. Like, so the, the maybe the context is that we do work together at Postman. Like, this yes. is not the you know just just getting to know you, but for the audience, like we can definitely dig in and kind of and, and do the full on get to know you. One one of the things I always get and like everybody always wants to know is kind of like how you get to be where you're at. So for full context, yeah. like like the one thing that struck me about Wes as soon as I met him is like is well besides his persona i mean like i won't go there but it's just like the data dog pager duty hubspot like he has been at all of these organizations and he's almost like a hyper growth junkie like you run this <laughs> loop for these companies and like it is a valuable loop but it it comes with a territory so dude take as long as you need and I'll, I'll rudely interrupt but would you like unpack your story for us like, sure yeah I a, a bit of a different path than a lot of folks that took a, diff- a couple of different turns throughout my career. I mean, first of all, I've been very fortunate to be around very smart people. So I think that's one of the things is just when you see that conviction in some of the founders and the companies that I've worked with, you get that vibe from them right away. And Postman's definitely one of those companies and visionary and I think what we're trying to do for our customers. So, um, but more personally, yes, I came up in sales and uh, now I find myself in customer success. So I started pretty early on at at HubSpot. So I'm in the Boston area. And I think there was about 30 or 40 of us when I first joined HubSpot as a, as a seller, as an individual contributor. So I had an opportunity to learn a lot more about sort of the science of selling. For folks who aren't super familiar with HubSpot, they're a large publicly traded company now, but their roots were on MIT's campus in the Boston area. So very analytical, super smart sales leaders that I had learned from at the time, our sales leader was Mark Robert, and he graduated from MIT Sloan. And it just kind of taught me the importance of balancing the art of selling with the science of it. So that was a really good experience. The other thing that I didn't realize at the time, but it definitely influenced the eventual path I would take into the post-sale side and customer success was we had such an amazing new customer acquisition machine, right? That it was my first understanding as a seller the importance of LTV and the long-term value that a customer gets and what they're spending over time and the importance of net retention. Funny story, I know you're obviously in the enablement and sort of employee development world, Pete, so you'll probably appreciate this. I was a first-time seller coming out of new hire training, and I think my first day I got like four people to give me their credit card over the phone, and I'm like, this is awesome, right? Three months later, none of them were customers, and I realized the importance of really understanding what value you can offer because no matter how good you are in the SaaS world of acquiring new customers, if you got a leaky bucket, right, and they're not staying and seeing value, you're never going to have the outcome that you're looking for. So HubSpot was very intentional about um, building a model that drove the right behaviors to find the best fit customers and incentivize sellers to do that effectively. So I can talk more about that later. And then I, uh, I moved on kind of stayed down that sales path at HubSpot for a few years and got presented with the opportunity to start the customer success team at Datadog. Again, very early on, there was shoot, about 30 or 40 people, only three to five in the Boston office at the time on the sales side. Oh. 
And admittedly, the first time we talked, it was, we need someone to lead customer success. And I admit, I kind of dismissed it initially. I thought- Because you were a success. Yeah, I thought that's not selling. I learned more about their model. They were definitely pioneers in the, in the true product-led growth phenomenon that we've seen. But you realize the move to, first of all, subscription-based. So the move to SaaS software kind of changed that. I saw that experience at, at HubSpot. It doesn't matter if you're greater at acquiring customers if you can't keep them. So I understood that pendulum was kind of swinging to the post-sale side in terms of the impact on the revenue in the business. And they really pushed for, you know, early on, we, we drove a lot of usage-based billing. So a lot of the acquisitions that actually came through on the, on the top of the funnel for new customers, nobody really talked to them. And so the relationships were actually built on the post-sale side. And so it was really interesting to me to kind of see that momentum shift with not only kind of where the money is spent and where that long-term net retention and how the market looks at that now, but also the fact that the best opportunity to build strong relationships with customers comes ironically after you sell to them in a lot of cases. This is a super interesting topic. And for anybody interested in product-led growth, which I think, I mean, I, I think these days are just such a mainstream topic, but like the role of customer success, it's transition maybe over the last six, eight years. Yeah. Um, like what have you seen? Why would somebody who is a successful seller at HubSpot at a successful company even consider taking over like into a, into a customer success? Yeah, role? it's interesting. Role? Yeah. I mean, some of it, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with own personal preference, even to an extent where you're at in your life. You know, at my, at the time when the opportunity presented itself at, at Datadog, admittedly, personally, I was starting a family and the idea of having a more consistent you know, the chase and the hunt of that monthly, you know, closing business is really exciting on some, on, in some, on some hand, right? But it can get a little challenging, those ebbs and flows, right? As sellers, I remember you have a great month or a great quarter and you figured it out, right? And then you have a bad month or a bad quarter and it's stressful and just the upside is high, but the inconsistency could be challenging for people sometimes at that point in their life where I have three young boys now at the time, it was like, I need something maybe a little bit more consistent. So I think if folks are at their, at that point in their life, considering something that maybe lacks that upside that sellers are, are accustomed to, but makes up for it with some consistency in the lifestyle, that was one thing admittedly that initially drew me over. And then the other one was, it's funny, one of the skills I look for in building a customer success team is this very high level of empathy. Mm. Um, and so I joke sometimes with some of my seller friends that often the best sellers in new business sales in a way kind of lack that empathy, not as a dig, but it's like when you're, I got to sell this month, it's about, we got to close this deal by this month. We got to do this discount. And there's a, there's sometimes the best sellers that need to be able to remove themselves from that in order to be effective. Whereas if you're in sales and you're feeling a little pressured by that and you don't feel like, like you want to keep that relationship after you sell, you don't want to just move on to the next one. Some people love doing that sales is for you. If you want to keep that relationship and stay, Customer success, I think, is something that people should consider. I have about seven people to tag with that little timestamp right there, but it's yeah. because they're, I mean, and a few on the empathetic side, but they're, they're a little yeah. bit of the, like, say, yes, shake my hand. You're a little bit of a bulldog and it's, that's a good trait, right? Like, and that's, I think really important. We'll probably get into it later, but I think just having that self-awareness and understanding what you enjoy doing, because even in the early days, you're going to be a bit more of a generalist in these companies and you need to be able to do a lot of different things. But I think eventually, if the company's having the success that you hope it does, 
that focus needs to narrow down on one particular or sh- shorter set of competencies for that role. And if those aren't things that you find yourself enjoying on a day-to-day basis, you, you can't fake it. Mm. It will eventually catch up with you. So. So moving into HubSpot, that was Boston based. Uh, there were smart people. They had like conviction around what they were, uh, what they were speaking. Is there any reason you took that data dog position? Like, could you look at data dog, even with three to four people in the office you mentioned I, and no, already know? I, yeah. If I said, I knew at the time that it would have the outcome, I mean, they're uh, about a $40 billion market cap in a publicly traded company. I didn't have that understanding. I mean, I definitely got the vibe from Olivier and Alexi, who were the founders, that they were onto something and they were very visionary. And it was definitely different from a HubSpot where our CEO, Brian Halligan, used to talk about the blue, blue ocean opportunity, right? Like they're changing the way things are being done. If you, maybe I'll be dating myself a bit here, but there was a time when websites weren't always used to generate leads and not every website had a form on it. And so they were really pioneering that concept of inbound marketing. And it just made sense. It was like this new blue ocean. You don't have direct competitors. You're just trying to, you're trying to, Sanjeev calls it category creators, right? You're creating a category. Datadog is, that was definitely much more of a traditional market that was transitioning from monitoring on-prem infrastructure and just rolled that cloud wave. Everyone's moving applications mm-hmm. to cloud. So I think in some ways, ignorance was bliss for me outside looking in. It's like, that makes sense. They're focused on monitoring in the cloud. Everyone's moving to the cloud. Sounds like a good opportunity, but I'd be lying if I said I knew the potential was there. So did not see the user base necessarily or like, like, cause coming into Postman, you could be like, oh, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the exact yeah, words right. 20 now, yeah. but maybe it was 10 million users at the time, developers utilizing the- I think there was a similar level of excitement in that. And this is how I, you kind of know you're built for startups when you look at the customer base and think if you can do that much with that little investment and that small of a team, imagine what you can do if- if we put some real juice behind it. And I had a similar feeling with Postman where it's just like this groundswell of adoption and people who love the product. That is a very similar experience for me here as it was at, at, at Datadog. HubSpot was challenging. Customers had to put a lot of work in to get value of the product. But a place like Datadog and, and Postman, it's so refreshing because customers really do love using the tool. And that sort of organic business is fueling and can continue to fuel our business as we build out the go-to-market strategy on top of that. So some of those things, like when you say like, yeah, it was just, I was here and stuff like that. Like, I would love to be able to like codify out whatever it is that made your heart beat and be like, "Mm, maybe I'll give this opportunity a chance. Maybe I'll even change roles into it because it's like, sometimes you'll notice something and you get a gut reaction, but like, what were those three things? that I think it's a little bit going with your gut to an extent, right? And being able to you know, ask yourself about the people that you'd be working with and, the, and not only internally, but the customers you'd be working with, right. And talking to people and seeing that community that's built around the product. So, you know, I would, I would, I've also like had grown an appreciation or lack thereof for titles. You know, I just want a seat on the rocket ship. It doesn't really matter to me about owning a certain amount of responsibility. And it's like, I, I, I think sometimes people in their career get caught up and I need to make this progression in their career and their title. Because I definitely had people saying to me when I went from sales into customer success, my sales friends were like, what are you doing? Why are you getting into customer success? So you got to be strong in your conviction when you, when you have a feel for where you want to go in your career. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And then Datadog obviously did what Datadog did and like, and then yeah. you, you made one more transition. So like, what was the, what was, yeah. the, what was the, yeah. 
the wild card was pager duty. And again, I think it maybe comes back a little bit to our own, where we're at in our lives and, and our personal life and, and what's most important to us at the time. I think at the time I was honest with myself and coming out of the experience at Datadog that in order to really grow in my career and become more well-rounded, I needed to better understand big traditional enterprise top-down selling. Mm. So coincidentally, I went from sales the customer, some sales at HubSpot to customer success at Datadog. And then the opportunity to pager duty was they needed somebody to manage some of the largest customers as the company was going to get going public. So it required, it was a selling role, but it required somebody who was strong with customers. And that was an awesome experience to me, for me, because for one, on one hand, it was me testing myself. It was me saying, I'm, I've been told I can't do this. I'm in customer success, right? Like I can't, I can't close a big deal and those skills aren't necessarily transferable. So I took it as an opportunity to see if I could do it. And I had some success there. It was really fun. And I honestly believe, you know, people would reach out to me when I was there and kind of ask, you know, what were some of the things that I had done to be able to have success with the accounts I worked with? And I really felt like it came back to that customer success experience. Nice. Just really working closely with customers to understand what the value is build those relationships and make those introductions to other people in those accounts. And so it was really refreshing for me to kind of prove to myself that I could do it ultimately. And that realistically, those skills across those teams are often very transferable. So what, what role did leadership play? Not like, like, cause you've mentioned like strong leaders in, in your life, the founders, CEOs, sales leaders of some of these companies, but like, when did that enter the picture for you? Was it by necessity or was it by design? Like. Were they like, you were like, Hey, I have this job. I've got to scale it. So I'm just going to need some additional people to work with me. Or was it like from the yeah. beginning, we want you to build the function a little bit more like Postman. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. It's, um, in most cases, it was people that I knew coming to me and seeing something in me that I might not have even seen in myself. Yeah. Right. So particularly when I think of Datadog, a good friend of mine was on the board there and he said, we want you to start customer success. And I was like, why, why me? What, and I didn't even see it in myself. And so trusting in that was really important and helpful. And I'm glad I did. And then even the move to pager duty wasn't necessarily on my radar, but a strong sales leader of somebody that I looked up to kind of saw the writing on the wall where the business is going. And even, you know, I, I've had conversations with even the big companies like AWS and they say the same thing where the personality or the profile in a lot of ways is changing for the sellers that they're hiring. You know, I'm in the Boston area, so I came up around these massive companies like EMC who are known for selling big deals on golf courses, old school, traditional selling, right? Yeah. And so a lot of folks that started at companies like AWS in this area were from those big companies that didn't get that we're in it for the long run, right? Like we need, the more we engage with the customer, we sell them the better value and the more they're going to spend with us eventually. So even, I guess, long story short, it was uh, my sales, a sales mentor, friend of mine at PagerDuty and kind of proven through conversations I had with AWS at the time as well was we need the profile that's in it for the long run more. Mm. We need, I can't bring in a bulldog to work with these massive accounts in New York City as we go public and worry about potentially not having one of those end well. We need to kind of play to the strengths of that empathy and some selling skills, but a little bit more around relationship, if that makes sense. So even you look at the, the model or the evolution of like an AWS sales team, it's very much gone from old school sellers to the recognition that they want that profile. Like I challenged them back and said, I'm looking at your entire 
selling team at AWS in the Boston area, for example, they all work to DMC. That's not me. And their response was, we actually want different profile. That profile is not working for us, if that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. So you were actually approached, like they knew you well enough to actually know that. And then your, your self-awareness and, and probably ability to communicate that. I'm sure that. that yeah. I think that self-awareness is really, really important. I think it's, it's even really important as you continue to grow in the company, like, um, leaving that ego side, which is hard because I'm, I consider myself a very confident person, but at the end of the day, if Postman and Datadog and these companies are doing really well, they're going to bring in people that have a different set of skills that I do that complement me that I can learn from. So I'm going to be hired over and that's good. My position in the company, my equity, nothing changes. So embrace that as, and I think sometimes it comes back to that title thing, right? Like if you're having success, the company is going to grow and there's more people that are going to be invested in and built around you. And I think sometimes people get too caught up in the, this is mine. I, it needs to be mine, no matter how big it gets, even if it's out of their experience or skill set. And just yeah. having that self-awareness is so important. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And like, because if you can't do it, you'll fail and then it won't work out anyways. Right. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. Like, cause, cause, cause you kind of have to like look at worst case scenario and you're like, well, yeah. what if then, you know, you're trying to like project into the future and these things that are changing all the time very, very rapidly and yeah. try to yeah. find your fit very quickly. So you're like, I have, I have the insight here before we even, but I, I kind of like to go back to the genesis of it. So I know at Postman that your team loves you. Like, dude, they, they just, they're like, they love you. Like it, it's, it's right. I know it's like embarrassing thing, but like, I have to kind of like scientifically actually set that as a fact. What about, cause you're trying to say like, Hey, can it be learned or is it, is it, is it a more natural thing? Is it from your youth or whatever? Yeah. Um, this, uh, your background, your background, you have an athletic background. I mean, and listen, I don't know what part luck plays in any of this. Like Shaquille O'Neal comes and crashes your wedding. Dude, <laughs> like that. Another time. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> totally. Yeah. But uh, as far as leadership goes, like, what did you lean on? It was probably like a gut instinct on like how you should treat people or how you should try yeah. to align their incentives. Like, did yeah. you have a, what did you lean on before you read 14 management books or whatever? It's all, it's all experience at the end of the day. I mean, me, when I first became a manager, I think that's a tough thing you see oftentimes in these fast growing tech companies, especially is the top performers become managers. That's not always necessary. Again, it comes back to self-awareness. If you're really good as an individual contributor, those skill sets might not transfer over to being a good manager. And I, early on, I don't think I was as good as a leader as I need to be. And one of the main things I look at is is being very direct with people. Maybe it's the, the, the Northeast, the Boston in me, or maybe it's just the fact that I'm a dad now and I don't really have time to beat around the bush. I just got to be direct with people. I actually honestly think people appreciate that yeah, when you're direct. And I think if you combine that with, again, being empathetic to them and trying to genuinely care, like when we start one-on-ones, I'm asking how their family is, right? We're not jumping right into numbers. Those little things I feel like earn me the right to then when I need to, I can be, I don't want to say a jerk, but I can hold, you know, you got to hold people accountable. And I think people take that feedback, even if I'm giving them coaching tips on things they can do better. I think if you build up that trust and you show that you care enough, then it allows you to be, hold them highly accountable and still not dislike you. So I'm glad to hear that my my team enjoys working with me, but uh, I think that's really important to kind of build that right to then, if you need to, just 
you got to be direct with somebody. Yeah. You made some deposits. I mean, yeah, you can, you can, yeah. you can withdraw from time to time, which is actually still another type of deposit. It's just a different, it's just a different mechanism. Like it's, yeah, it's whether you definitely. get the, the, the upfront, thank you for it. Or if it's like a silent or later on down the road. And I think knowing, being comfortable pushing back also, right? Like, especially in a growing company, there's going to be so many things that we can do better. My job is to filter through some of that, right? You might have five complaints to me in a one-on-one that I'm going to tell you straight up. We're going to have to deal with four out of those five, but I got you on that one. I'll escalate that. It's good feedback. But I, I think too often, especially young managers will escalate everything. They don't know how to push back necessarily on their people, right? And hold them accountable to those things and say, look, we, you know, in the list of things we need to get to, I want to be straight up with you. We're not going to be able to get to those things. So we got to roll with it. And the other thing I'll say is if you're very intentional with that during the hiring process, it makes life a lot easier. Like my role in the hiring process now more than anything else is to vet that. Effectively, we are a massive science experiment. If you don't like testing new things, if you want some structured process, this is not the place. We're going to switch it up all the time. So then when they join, it's kind of like a buyer beware. I told you that we're going to be agile and try different things. And you're going to help me build that by influencing it, participate. If you get uncomfortable with the dynamic environment like that, we're not the right place. That's interesting. That's a place to hang out. So. Okay. So we, we have established that you've been in all of these growing, fast growing companies, and we've just gone through the ones that are like just household names in tech. Anyway, there's a couple more in there as well, but, and now at Postman, I've talked about Postman on the podcast before, massively growing company, over 20 million developers, just hundred percent year over year growth in almost any metric you want to measure. And then, and you find yourself, you know, you find yourself here for the past 18 what challenges of scale like do you see repeatedly like things that you know you're going to come into this organization and and see even if it's not brought to you up front and then and then what things how can you prepare people for that as a leader you kind of mentioned some but anything that's a good question i think again it comes back to knowing what you're getting yourself into and and the pros and cons of everything like i've worked for companies that have had more business mind stronger like brand personalities as our leaders and in some ways those can be easier companies to work for because maybe there's a higher emphasis on operations and kind of back end and kind of building the company from the inside out which i think relieves some of the stress behind like process and scaling um but then i've worked for founders who are visionaries like in this product like growth technical founders who when you talk to them their excitement for the product is so high and they're constantly talking about the value their customers get or the the last time they talk to a customer those are the signs i'm looking for and i guess the one thing is is that you have to prepare yourself that those visionary technical leaders they're so laser focused on the product which is great i would much prefer this over the the alternative Sometimes operationally, things aren't going to be as smooth. Do I know that our process could improve? Do I know our Salesforce instance could be cleaner? Do I know we could probably invest in different parts of the business? Maybe, right? But I don't even want to distract our found, our leaders and our, like, that product is so good and so solid that I'll, I'll filter out some of that noise and push back on my team and then make sure that if there's things that are really important, we'll escalate up. But I think sometimes people who come from those two sales-minded or business-minded companies 
can't always relate to these technical founders and everything becomes a fire drill or I, I lost this deal because of this. And so you want to fix that. Maybe you want to change price or something like that. And you're asking yourself, is that really what's best for the business or is that what's best for me at that moment so that I can hit my arbitrary number? I would yeah. much rather deal with the pain of like working through the process and have confidence in the founders and the vision and the product than the opposite. You know what I mean? It is such like that whole nugget right there. So really, really helpful because, because you, cause you can see like coming through these new hire programs, like you understand their backgrounds and everybody here is talented and everybody here is smart. We hire really yeah. well. And it's such a, like a, it's such a beacon for hiring, it's such a lighthouse. Like people are attracted to it, especially, Yeah, I mean, we're later stage now for a startup, you know, so we get these good people, but depending on their background, they will have different avenues and routes of, of thinking of things. And none yeah. of them are yeah. actually wrong. It's just, no, like, no, definitely just where we're at the company. Totally. Yeah. And I, it's funny. One of the, one of the lines I use in the interview process is from the movie, the breakup where they get an argument about doing the dishes and the comment is. I want you to want to do the dishes. So when you're interviewing somebody and they're like, no, I want to work for a startup and they came from a bigger company and they're like, I want to work for a startup. And it's like, well, there's a lot of different things we have to do. You're going to wear a lot of different hats. And it's like, oh, I I'm capable of doing that. No, no, you got to embrace it. Like you got to get bored if you're not wearing multiple hats. Mm. That's the type of environment. And like, I hate the term, but that's the type of environment you're going to be in a hyper growth. Whether you want to or not, you're part of a science experiment and you're going to try a bunch of different stuff. And if that's not cool with you, be careful because you're not going to have fun. Part of the science experiment, dude, that's, a, that's such a good, that's such a good uh, outlook on it. I'm telling you, like not a lot of people have been in like four or five of these types of orgs on like a repeating basis. It's really interesting to hear from you on these. Okay. Let's try this one. Let me try some, some, some quick ones. There's like five quick ones in a row. Let's quick, quick, right. but you know, whatever, same, same old thing. Biggest challenge from the last six months. So maybe we're talking H1 2022 for any additional yeah. context for listening later. I think this is a general customer success challenge that we also have here is maybe it's because of my background in sales. Sales is very straightforward. You have a number oftentimes this product led growth world. We have such organic business and the things we focus on in customer success is making a customer successful, right? So I think goal setting is, is, can be really challenging is understanding how you're measuring people and what their performance is. It's not as cut and dry black and white as when you're in sales. So I think continuing to look at, and this is just a challenging customer success. It's always, you know, how do you scale your operation? How do you show the best influence or the biggest impact you're making on the business? Is it net revenue or retention? Is it some product consumption or output like case studies or things like that? So it's really important to continue testing out where you're having the biggest impact and not just get locked in on well, here's how we did it at another company. It's purely dollars driven. What's right for us? Yeah. Yeah. Measurement uncertain. And, and then, <laughs> and then the transitions over time, like the new, then the, the next wave of you get more data, but you also have different like initiatives maybe in the future. That is, that is, that is big. And that is more, that is more on the customer success side. Like yeah. naturally you just, you're so involved in the entire portion of the motion, like pre and post, and then you have these day-to-day -day almost interactions with the customer versus yeah. like a motion that leads up to a point in time. Um, mm -hmm. There's such a 360 happening there that I'm, it always kind of boggles my and mind. You got to be a little bit, you got to be able to do a little bit of everything. You know, you got to be able to have those commercial conversations and have some skin in the game from a retention standpoint. Mm -hmm. Want to see that revenue growth. You also have to be able to separate yourself. So 
Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. Felt that as well. Favorite leadership moment. No, no timestamp on it whatsoever. Just like one of those things where somebody got it or it was just a good team collaboration or something like that or whatever it happens to be. Could be oh, man, that's a good one. Well. Nice. Yeah. I don't know if I have one particular story I come back to, but I mean, not to make it, um, purely financial or anything like that. But when I see people who I've hired early stage who had like me, like no idea we were going to have the outcome that we ended up having when I see how their lives impacted or I see them years later and they have families and they don't have as much stress in their life because of that outcome. That to me is really cool, right? Like we didn't know the opportunity that was in front of us when we were working together, but just to see the impact and, and how it's changed people's lives. That to me is like, it sounds tacky, but it makes it all worth it. You know, Dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's a, that's a massive, a massive. It's just like at the time, it's hard to realize the juice is worth the squeeze. You know what I mean? Like it's tough. You're asking yourself why you go work somewhere else. Not as hard, maybe for bigger salary or something like that. Right. But when you see the outcome, make it all worth it. I just met up with a bunch of friends in New York the other day. Uh, we all work together and it's just like, man, it's fun. You know, so. Dude, that's so good. That meeting right there, maybe, maybe it gives a little bit more, or maybe it's still just an internal thing that you're sitting with as you're trying to maybe handle more like day-to-day -day challenges, but vision for your team over the next 12 months. Like if this could happen, it would just be maybe yeah. even miraculous status. I think we continue that evolution from a team of people who can do a bunch of things really well to a team that's able to, because the businesses are going to require that more narrow focus and kind of play to a shorter list of skills for particular mm -hmm. people on the team. So understanding what that stratification looks like, you're starting to see it with some of the ways that we're kind of setting the organization up and recognizing some people are really good at working with massive organizations and doing like a top-down deployment and other people are really good at managing a bigger number of accounts but at the end of the day the responsibility the ownership that they have with to the business is similar right if you're a, a csm who's managing a small number of accounts that spend 10 million dollars a year with us in total and a ton at each individual account and then you're somebody who's really good at multitasking and managing maybe a bigger set of accounts but still for 10 million those are different skill sets, but have a similar impact on the business. So I'm trying to be intentional about playing to those people's strengths, but also kind of breaking that traditional mold of if you're, if you're handling the big accounts, then somehow you're better than or paid more or anything like that than somebody who's managing a smaller set. I personally think it's a different skill set. I don't believe that one is above the other. They're both responsible for a similar amount of revenue to the business. It's just each individuals have strengths that roll towards either one. It's interesting. So it is interesting because it's always viewed outside looking in. And maybe this is just an old viewpoint of like one is better than another. And sometimes yeah. in that manner, yeah. but like it they are very like different skill set. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that a little bit happen on the sales side as well. And that's one of the things that I've loved yeah. about customer successes is not this linear progression. Coming up as a seller, it was always you start inside, you move outside. And then you move up the enterprise to the size of the company. I'm trying to break that mold in customer success. I don't think it has to be that way. It's interesting. That's cool. That, that's definitely cool. Okay. Awesome. All right. Then the finale. 
So this one's meant for you, but it's meant for everybody. So like, so uh, some of our listeners are people who are like looking in and, and saying like, dude, that sounds like a, a good gig. I'd like to be at those types of organizations in that type of position. So, but the best way to kind of t give somebody advice is like, well, if I told myself 10 years ago, like what, what would the tip be 10 years ago, you know, for yourself wanting to get where you are today or just in general, like, hey, 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 yeah. MS, like here, here's what's up. Yeah. On one hand, it's play the long game, you know, and that's easy to say looking back, but you know, sometimes people might get frustrated by a bad quarter or a bad month, but in the scheme of things, if the company's having success and they're continuing to grow, um, and you continue to execute then the outcome is worth it. Even if individually you might be challenged by this commission plan isn't great, or I feel like I need to get paid more. So that's one thing on one hand is just keep that in perspective that the juice can be worth the squeeze, even if it doesn't seem like it is at, 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 at the time. Um, and then I think the other one is just be strong in your convictions, right? Like, I think I'm lucky in that I potentially have like blind confidence at times. So when those friends of mine were saying, you're crazy, why would you get into customer success, right? Or I went from a leader to an individual contributor at PagerDuty straight up and wow. like people were like whoa you're taking a step back in your career no i'm confident in myself and i think i'm going to have success doing this that it's going to make me better so i think if you have that level of self-awareness and you know what you enjoy doing and you have a short list of people that you consider to be mentors and you trust block out that noise and if and just go with your gut nice yeah that's 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 fantastic i only have one follow-up to it it's like it's would you, knowing that, would you have changed anything about your personal or professional growth over the last 10 years based on that advice? Yeah, definitely. I think I've learned now to be more patient. I think at there's times when you're like, I know this can be done better. And maybe I didn't filter as much of those things that I filter now. It used to be you know what? You're right. That Salesforce quoting process stinks. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go ruffle, ruffle some feathers, make sure it gets fixed. You know, I think uh, in the scheme of things, having that perspective of like, what's really important. And if everything's a fire drill, then nothing is. Mm -hmm. Then realizing like, I've done this enough times now to know it's, it's always going to feel like a shit show. <laughs> it's always going to feel like it's chaotic, okay. right? Like we're always going to be lagging process wise and it's okay. Right. And just being comfortable, being uncomfortable, I guess. Dude, that's, it's, it's, well, it came, this time that statement came with context and like an example or two. And so it, but you hear that all the time. I'm like, thanks, Instagram meme. Not doing that. <laughs> yeah, was that Instagram yeah. meme? Yeah. It, <laughs> definitely, definitely. But like when it's, it's because it's so true. So people like to use it. And, but that, that with the examples makes total, total sense. Okay. That's so good. I really appreciate the time. It's been it's been fantastic on here. Thanks for coming on and just great to work with you. Thanks for the absolutely thanks for all the, the effort and the collaboration, man. Thanks for everything. All right. Good luck. We'll talk, man. Later. Bye.